0: Concentrate, concentrate, concentrate. Keep it in mind, keep it in mind. You mustn't be afraid to dream of a bigger, dog. There's a storm coming, Mr. Wayne. Now you need to tell me which plan is to save the world. It's not just us. The goal went out. We aren't the only ones to answer, you know. Yeah, shooting the
1: bullet. You're catching it.
0: Because it's all part of the plan. Are you watching closely?
1: Hello, I'm Ben Brandlinger, and I'm Robert Denfield. We're your hosts for Must Go Faster. And this is the Chris Nolan Chronicles, part three. So, in this episode, the time has come to talk Batman Begins and the one and only The Dark Knight.
0: Yes, finally. We
1: are super excited to dive into the details of these movies and discuss... The major impact that they've had, not only on the comic book genre, but I would say blockbusters at large. and No doubt. Also in part three, we'll hit on some what-ifs, some sliding doors moments in Nolan's career, Uh um, where we'll speculate also on a few franchises and genres we'd like to see him tackle. Yeah. If you... Having done so, uh, be sure to check out parts one and two of the Chris Nolan Chronicles where we covered his first four movies and much, much more. It'll bring you up to speed to this point in Nolan's career when he decides to take on the Batman franchise. Yeah. Where do we begin? So in January 2003, Warner Brothers hired Nolan to direct an untitled Batman film and David Goyer signed on to help write the script. Nolan's intentions were to reinvent the Batman film franchise um, and to do that by telling the origin story of the character, which yes. was something that had never really been done before on screen, on, yeah. on screen. And Nolan said that the humanity and realism would be the basis for this origin film. Uh-huh. And that quote, the world of Batman is that of grounded reality. It will be a recognizable contemporary reality against which an extraordinary heroic figure arises. Yes. And, you know, Nolan, he felt the previous films were exercises in style rather than drama. You know, I think that's putting it diplomatically uh, when you consider <laughs> some of those Batman films that preceded it uh-huh. but he said his main inspiration for Batman Begins was 1978 Superman yeah um, I saw the where same thing
0: focus on de- depicting the character's growth so mm-hmm. and just the the sheer magnitude of th- that film and mm. just the impression that it makes on children and the grandeur of it and the size and scale and and all those things that that go into the sort of cinematic experience of it all So, before getting into the movie itself, I think it's really
1: important to give context around the Batman movie franchise and how it had been handled for many years leading up to Batman Begins. So, Uh this run starting in 1989 with the release of Tim Burton's Batman. Love it. You and I both love you. Rob, you love. It's great.
0: (laughs) Oh, they don't make it like they used to.
1: (laughs) I'm a big fan as well. Grew up on it. That was followed by Batman Returns, which I also love. Selena.
0: Don't you see? We're the same. We're the same. Split right down the center.
1: And I'm a fan too, but I will say like, I wouldn't call them you know, completely true to the dark complex character of Batman. Like it's, no. it's flashy and gothic, but there's uh-huh. still a level of kind of silliness at play that I think, you know, even like Burton and people involved with those movies would admit.
0: Yeah. Um, and super stylized world building and, mm-hmm. you know, costume design, set design, production design, Theatric everything. Yeah. It, it evil, looks like yeah, its yeah. own comic booky world. Um, it is, you know, taken from a certain, uh, series of the comics and, yeah, so this, this Nolan franchise wanted to, you know, not be sort of trapped in those same sorts of tropes and, and the same look and design of everything. And they wanted yeah. to separate themselves a little bit from those films. So from Burton, you then had
1: Joel Schumacher's 1995 Batman Forever, <laughs> which is just god awful.
0: Um, Don't forget and Batman... The fr- Batman, Batman uh, oh no I'm sorry that is Batman Forever uh, I don't I don't hate Batman Forever actually yeah you know um, I feel
1: like it's kind of gotten off easy because what yeah. followed Batman Forever which is like one of the, <laughs> and one Robin. Of the worst movies that was, that, ever I was made. confused yeah Batman Forever has certain redeemable qualities that's me putting it that's as nice as I can get about it but I like
0: Jim Carrey and Tommy Lee Jones as as the, <laughs> the villains they are entertaining let <laughs> you spoilers We're of two minds about what to eat first.
1: I hope you made extra. Who the hell
0: are you? Just a friend. But you can call me... The Riddler. So,
1: the franchise then, two years after Batman Forever, reaches its its low point, we can agree, with Uh Batman and Robin. You know, what is there left to say about Batman and Robin? Like... (laughs) the definition of of camp of campiness right the star george clooney once infamously stated that if you went up to him and said you'd seen batman and robin which oh, he right. plays batman in he'd personally
0: like give you your money back yeah he would pay for the whatever price is on the ticket stub he would hand you that cash i hope just, people took him up on that <laughs> yeah 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 too many people did and then he's like yeah. all right come on so <laughs> uma just fire
1: up The montage in Batman and Robin of every quote-unquote cold pun that Arnold's Mr. (laughs) Freeze does. You've seen this clip on YouTube. We used to play it all the time in college. Right. Show some mercy. I'm afraid that my condition has left me cold.
0: To your pleas of mercy. All right, everyone. Chill. It's a cold town. Cool party. (laughs) You
1: are not sending me to the cooler. Freeze well. What killed the dinosaurs? That, is age. that clip just basically sums up where this franchise uh-huh. was when we when we last le- left off before Nolan took
0: over, and so, that was the lowest grossing film in the Batman series of all time, and and just you know kind of left it lying in a ditch, unfortunate, <laughs> unfortunate place. Yeah. So as we move on to Batman Begins
1: and Nolan's handling an impact that he had on this franchise. Like it just cannot be overstated just how refreshing and different his approach was to making these films. And lastly, one last thing before we get into the movie specifically, I need mm-hmm. to preface by saying as a child, I was <clears throat> obsessed with that man. Like oh. there was no figure in pop culture that I was more into like, I used to think I was Batman. Oh, man. Like, I would say. I like, don't think I knew this. Batman. This is a great, fun yeah, fact. Yeah, I kept it a little under wraps in college, Rob. You yeah. Know, to... <laughs> Why? Let me just put it this way. There are actual photos of me. Maybe we'll share these on the Musco Faster account uh, when we release this episode. Please. Of me wearing a cape to the beach <laughs> when I was... like. In Outer Banks, oh. beautiful like sandy beach, and I'm just like in that cape, okay, uh, hanging out. I know, need this image. <laughs> I, I swear the, these exist. I, I I will have to share. um Even as I got older and you know stopped wearing capes of the beach, uh, <laughs> great. You know, let me let me let me just say the capes of the beach era was you know when I was like 18, 19 years. No, it was yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, it was when I was you know a young toddler. You sure, know, three, four, five. Years oh, old. it's fine. Um, anyway, don't explain I, yourself,
0: Ben. Live live the cape life.
1: Sure. Yes. And I've always felt more connected to Batman than any other comic book character. You know, I've read and enjoyed a lot of the more renowned graphic novels as I got older. So, like, the backbone of my interest and, like, passion for these films starts with with childhood. So Okay. Well, I see... Having I, s-
0: no, I, since you said that, I will give my sort of backstory or history with Batman. I i'm I think about the same, but I didn't have the same sort of cartoon love that you had as a young child. I assume yeah, from you didn't watching, wear capes of the beach, yeah, from watching cartoons <laughs> and just i I knew of the character, obviously. But then, you know I as I got into my teenage years, probably, maybe I saw Batman for the first time the the eighty nine Burton film, maybe when I was like ten to twelve, um you know, grew up watching those probably five or six times each with my brother and whoever else. Um, So I was very, you know, very much a fan of the character and the world. And I was aware of it. And like you, I started, I read some of the graphic novels in my later teenage years uh, into college. I believe I read a few, but yeah, it's not something I, and this is actually where Christopher Nolan kind of came in to the franchise. He was, you know, familiar and he was a fan as a child of the, of the show, the series on on television, and also the yeah, the, the, series. the older films. Um, Self admittedly, he was not an expert, and that's why he wanted to bring on someone like David S. Goyer, who was was that expert and could provide sort of the the rich history. And you know, since this was there was a lack of a pre existing you know origin story on screen for this character, so they really were like kind of exploring something new within the realm of Batman on screen so it was a good good sort of mix of writers someone that looked at the character as somewhat of an outsider and a and a general fan to a a hardcore comic fan mm-hmm. and
1: yes they said You know, Nolan and Goyer said the graphic novels The Long Halloween and Dark Victory were huge influence on the screenplay. Uh You know, those are two that I've read. And the similarities between them and Nolan's Batman trilogy are striking, like Mm. the mood, the visual language, the themes. Apparently, the screenplay was so secretive that the executives that we're going to greenlight the project, we're only allowed to read it in Nolan's garage yeah. where, the, where the screenplay
0: was written, you know, some yeah. like
1: Steve, Steve jobs stuff going down. I was going to mention that,
0: that they really wrote and fleshed out this story in Nolan's garage. And they, David Crawley came in and, and uh Wally Pfister joined eventually the cinematographer and they, they really broke down like how they were going to do it all from This garage, and what do you think uh, the
1: stench was in that garage uh, while they were making (laughs) the bo level? It
0: had like a a layer of cheese. Like (laughs) we're gonna snacks were prevalent. uh. Right, right, right. Yeah, let's
1: just say yeah, you had to put on like a gas mask as you like went in. Um, Right. So one of the things that I love about this Batman Begins script is like it's such a logical progression of the Batman character. Mm. Like it takes it's time to show the full arc mm-hmm. of the character's origins. Like you really buy into it as a viewer. Mm-hmm. Like, well, as much as anyone could buy into a story where a man driven by his fear of bats decides to put on a costume to fight crime. Having said that, like it does just feel really grounded. So yeah, MM begins released in June of 2005, big hit critically at the box office. Shocker, one uh-huh. big hit. The guy just, you know, shits big hits. Right. Um, <laughs> the movie's marketing costs 100 million were at the time the most ever spent on one movie and there was definitely a lot of hype and interest going into it Mm -hmm. fans were wondering like what is nolan you know he made you know memento and the prestige or actually actually, this is right before the prestige but Mm -hmm. you know insomnia and you know had a lot of buzz around him and now he's being handed the keys of like handed the keys of one of the most beloved characters in comic book history. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, when I first saw Batman Begins in theaters opening weekend, I remember I was in like the second row mm. off to the side. My neck was like cocked back, which is not like ideal. kind of the worst yeah. type of seat to be in a, in a theater. And uh-huh. it was a time where, as I think we've said on the pod, like during high school, like I had not found my passion for film. I had not mm. met you yet in college. Uh-huh. And I was just uh-huh. pretty... Um, agnostic about just movies in general. So like I didn't really, I just remember being like, yeah, that was cool. It was kind of confusing and complex, but Uh it's funny to think that like three years later, the dark Knight. by then I had been like completely radicalized as a film lover and Mm. and I was just psyched out of my mind for that movie's release. Yeah.
0: That's interesting to hear that. Yeah, I mean, it had a it had a somewhat, you know, uh, modest budget of 150 million, which sounds silly to say, but for a, a comic book franchise uh film, it is pretty low. But then the the marketing budget, but it did make more than it's money back. It made a a little tidy profit. It it the worldwide gross turned out to be about 373 million uh after all things said and done. So it turned a nice profit for Warner Brothers and kind of proved that Uh, Nolan could do this, could make a big franchise film, and could make a big, you know, sort of Hollywood studio feature. Yeah. And, you know, it should be noted that we are, again, doing this somewhat out of order. The Prestige came out after Batman Begins, but because of, we wanted to record Batman Begins and The Dark Knight together, so we we did the Prestige in the previous episode, but it is sort of noteworthy that this film came right after Insomnia, which is you know kind of a smallish film in in the catalog maybe the smallest that nolan has done so yeah it was it was a big sort of leap of faith for all parties your parents death was not your fault my parents deserve justice i cannot let that pass if
1: you make yourself more than just a man then you become something else entirely a legend mr Wayne. One of Nolan's strengths as a director, which we've definitely touched on in the Chris Nolan Chronicles, is his ability for world building. And I think with Batman Begins, like this is the first time in his career where he's operating in the heart of a a city, of course, Mm -hmm. Gotham City. And this is the first Batman movie where Gotham City scenes were filmed on location in in actual cities, uh-huh. so in in London, in Chicago, as opposed to on a set yeah. or images via stock footage, how it'd be done in the past.
0: Well, there were a lot of there were a lot of sets built for the for Batman Begins, um, mm-hmm. especially the stuff shot in in England, apparently. But yeah, th- it was a much more practical world.
1: Yeah, and just greatly adds to that sense of, of realism that uh-huh. Nolan was going for when he was first offered the film. Yeah, and. Before shooting began, Nolan invited the entire movie crew to a private screening of 1982's Blade Runner. Mm. After the movie, he told the crew, this is how we're going to make Batman. Mm -hmm. And I just think that's like badass. Like, I just love that little anecdote. And I think it's a really good illustration of one of the many reasons why I love Nolan. It's like Mm. taking influence from high art film Mm -hmm. as, you know, something like Blade Runner. And then just applying that to a blockbuster for the masses right and you can really
0: see that in the in the narrows elements of batman begins of gotham city and his iteration of it and you know the the trains and the stylized like the narrows portion of gotham city is is a little uh you know comic booky looking and that that When you say Narrows, what do you mean exactly? Well, so that's the, that's like the underworld, the overpopulated, like grimy underworld of Gotham City. They call it the Narrows. Mm -hmm. So yeah, you can see the influences of Blade Runner in in the Narrows portion of Gotham. And it is really cool, like you said, that he takes on the high art uh, inspirations and influences in these films.
1: Yeah, those like the cityscapes, the gloomy fog, the architecture, even the futuristic elements like the monorail, which they make really effective use out of, that is all pulled from the world building of Blade Runner. a film that I actually think is ultimately overrated, but mm. from a world building point of view, like yeah. it's a, it's a masterpiece it's for It's hard sure. to match. Yeah. You think I'm a replicant, don't you? As you said, like in Nolan's Gotham, which Looks like a warped version of New York City, which is, Mm -hmm. of course, what the comics are based off of. Like, it shows clear class disparities. Like, Mm -hmm. there's high-rise skyscrapers in the background. There's poor housing in in the foreground. Mm -hmm. And I also want to shout out here the Batcave and just how raw it is. And it's, again, one of those things where Nolan, you know, it makes you think if there was an actual Batman in the real world, like, this is probably how his Batcave would emerge and, and look like yeah contrary to previous Batman movies um, there were no visual effects used in Batman Begins to show the Batcave the entire thing was uh, instead built on a massive full-scale set
0: yeah and that you know that goes with the grounded practical in-shot effects that Nolan is so well known for uh, up to this point and continued on throughout his entire filmography um, he, if he can do it in camera he's gonna do it and you know while maintaining uh somewhat you know, they've gotten a little a little elevated in terms of the budget, but at, at this point in his career he's able to accomplish these things without like really going overboard in terms of the money spent and and, you know, he, he pushes that in this film, but it really does um try to forego some of those things that are done CGI in, in lesser films.
1: Let's talk about the performances and casting here.
0: Mm-hmm. And I want
1: to start with with Christian Bale, our boy. Yeah. So as I was rewatching Batman Begins for the CNC, the Chris Nolan Chronicles, I uh, love it. Becky, my fiance, said very early on, <laughs> and I'm quoting here: uh, "Take number one, this trilogy would be nothing without Christian Bale. Yeah. Take number two, Christian Bale is very sexy. <laughs> um, I want to say those takes are, are somehow related of hers, but um,
0: you know, well, he is. I can't disagree."
1: Yeah, he is magnificent as Bruce Wayne, as Batman, and evidently, Bale had a very active dislike of his uncomfortable Batman outfit. Mm. Um, It helped his performance as he was perpetually in a foul mood while wearing it. Sure. And the deep voice that he does when he's in costume, like, it doesn't always work. Like, it has definitely been parodied beyond belief at this point, but... You got to have some kind of modulation. Like, I think while that he was wearing it.
0: Yeah, I think that is a little bit overblown. Like I, I maybe in earlier uh, screenings of the film, like I, I thought the same thing. But in this in this viewing, I'm like, you know, he he made a choice on the voice when he's in the in the costume in the suit, and it is what it is. But I, I kind of like it. It's it's very guttural yeah. and like intense, mm-hmm. and it it goes with the Dark Knight theme of the entire trilogy. It's that this is the you know the the darker side of gotham and this character and and all of the psychological things going on within bruce wayne's head what the hell are you (laughs)
1: i'm batman So here's a little tidbit about him preparing for the role. So due to his part in um, The Machinist in 2004, Bale was vastly underweight um, when he was under consideration for this part in Batman Begins. Uh He weighed about 126 pounds. After after being cast, he was told to become as, quote, big as you could be by Chris Nolan. Yeah. And he (laughs) underwent a six-month dietary and exercise regimen, ended up weighing... 220 pounds which is about 40 pounds above his normal weight it was then decided that bale had become too large Uh, his friends on his friends of his on the movie's crew dubbed him fat man yeah and he quickly shed about 20 pounds to have a leaner more muscular frame bale described the experience as an unbearable physical ordeal
0: wow well yeah i mean if you've seen the machinist he is alarmingly skinny in that film so he must have like eaten his face off and uh, I saw that Nolan described him as a 250 pound bear Batman when he showed up to set, and but he 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 kind of <laughs> maintains that bulky Batman throughout the the trilogy, and yeah. I think it really works, especially for like how how physical those performances are and the the fight scenes and stuff. So
1: apparently Heath Ledger was actually considered for the role of Bruce Wayne Batman yeah. during the movie's early development. He uh, met Nolan for it. Yeah, Nolan agreed he wasn't right for the role, but after this, he was of course went down in in movie history by playing the Joker in The Dark Knight, which we'll get into. So let's not blow this out of proportion. Yeah, and I think just like my biggest takeaway in rewatching Batman Begins for this was just like how good Bale is in this in this performance. Mm-hmm. I just I just think it's it it's great and. You know, this movie would not work with without like a really compelling and convincing, you know, Bruce Wayne Batman. I
0: mean, definitely it's not. Called,
1: Batman Begins it centers around him. Yeah. I want to um, shout out Lucius Fox, who's played yeah. by Morgan Freeman, uh-huh. basically like Batman's Q, like in the the Bond franchise, like uh-huh. you know, the guy he goes to for for gadgets, and it's the first time this character appeared in a Batman film, and it's also notable because it's the first prominent black character and you know role by a black actor in the history of, of batman movies and i think yeah freeman again just brings a lot of just grav you know gravitas to to this kind of role and uh-huh. and you know really just gets the most out of it and yeah. i love the use of the term like applied sciences, uh-huh. applied <laughs> sciences which is like a yeah. smoke screen of like what they're really up to right. like it's that emphasis on the practical even when it
0: comes to a, a bat suit and it should be called like abstract military technology
1: <laughs> yeah and in much of to that point Batman's gear and apparel in this film is based on real life military technology mm-hmm. and just know Rob like and this kind of maybe goes back to me you know loving Batman as a kid wearing mm-hmm. a cape to the beach <laughs> I still get steamed up for like the Batman assembling gear montage. Yes, like that still gets the blood flowing. Like there's a part of me that still like gets chills. Me and there's too. there's some really good montages of that in in Batman Begins.
0: I absolutely love the way Lucius Fox describes the tools and the gadgets, and just you know having Morgan Freeman's voice sort of be a oh, perpetual yeah. thing in in these three films is really great. And his his just uh, sort of aura on screen just. It lends uh, credibility to all of the films. Molecules realign, become rigid. What kind of shapes can you make? It can be tailored to fit in any structure based on a rigid skeleton. Too expensive for the army? But I don't think they ever tried to market it to the billionaires belonging base jumping crowd. Look, Mr. Fox. Yes, sir? If you're uncomfortable. Mr. Wayne, if you don't want to tell me exactly what you're doing when I'm asked, I don't have to lie. But don't think of me as an idiot. Yeah. So I wanted—I was gonna get to this later, but now that you bring up like gadgets and technology, I, I wanted yeah. to ask you what is your favorite Batman gadget mm. in in these two movies? So across so, the—I'm
1: so, I'm so glad you asked. Yeah. Man. All right okay
0: uh (laughs) you can think i can go first if you want because i i did have time
1: i I have i have a gadget that immediately first pops into mind you're maybe including like vehicles as well or like anything yeah yeah is in the realm of like tools any of his equipment his non-human benefits i'm gonna go specific and this is stepping a little bit on the dark knight but the first thing that pops into mind is that device he uses in the dark night in the the hong kong scene oh where he's like descending from the skyscraper and he has that that device that like shoots off like timed explosives oh yeah yeah and the
0: way he assembles that and Uh like the sound design it's just oh man it's so cool there's Um, so much great sound design with these gadgets and we can get to that later but so to me it's I know I put you on the spot there and I, I prepared a little bit more for it. And there's actually a, a bonus feature on the Dark Knight uh, Blu-ray called uh, Batman Tech. And it goes into a lot of this stuff and, and sort of like what they were inspired by and the real life versions of some of these things. It's really cool. I, I recommend checking it out. It's like 45 minutes. I'm sure it's on YouTube. But to me, it's the it's just the suit, the Batman suit in general. To me, is is the best Batman suit by far in any of the Batman films. Um, yeah, no nipples on the suit. Yeah, unlike, it's made uh, of like that woven. <laughs> right, exactly the the uh, George Clooney nipples. Uh, not great. The wove <laughs> It's made of this woven advanced Kevlar technology, and you know the it's it's over this mesh for the faster, easier movement and more flexibility. It has these armor plates uh, that are made of pressed boron carbide, apparently, which is, like, an actual technology <laughs> Hashtag that's press boron used. <laughs> yeah. uh, the Nomex material that makes the, the suit completely fireproof. You know that scene when yeah. uh, Scarecrow sets him on fire and he jumps yeah, out of the yeah. window? Um, super yeah. intense. Yeah. Um, But it's, I mean, really cool. Uh, The memory cloth cape, of course, with the magnetism. Super cool how it, you know, snaps to a design. Um, Yeah, and I I also, in terms of the gadget, like outside of the suit, I love those little grenade bombs that he has that have like those silver spikes coming out of it. It kind of looks like a little coronavirus ball unfortunately oh. now yeah, that i have yeah, yeah. that image of what a coronavirus looks like right um, right, right right it kind of looks like that of course the the grappling gun but yeah i'm going with the suit and i just love the way his eyes look in the suit uh, they're they're yes. like super compelling to look at within like the mask striking. and stuff they're really striking and and just yeah, I got to shout out um, the costume design by Lindy Heming in both of these films. Mm. I think it's great, not only the yeah. suit, but all of the costume design is really makes these films in a in a big way. Phenomenal gear tangent. Yeah, I, I, but I I'm into it. <laughs> um, so you mentioned
1: Scarecrow. Killian Murphy is Doctor Crane, uh-huh. AKA the Scarecrow is kind of the the proper villain in Batman Begins, and. He just has like one of the most interesting faces in Hollywood. Like yeah. his eyes—you mentioned, you know, Bale's eyes in the mm-hmm. suit, Murphy's eyes. Like particularly the way they just bulge like mm. out of his skull when yeah. he's given like a dose of his own fear med meta- like, toxin. Oh, he's uh, like
0: Doctor Crane's he, not here right now. <laughs> right,
1: right. Apparently, Marilyn Manson was considered for this role. Like, oh, wow, that would, wow. Have, been that would something, have been fascinating. Killian Murphy. Kills it uh, again! Just another great performance. Uh-huh. Um, Michael Caine as Alfred. We talked about in part two about this long-term collab between him and Nolan. He's basically starred in every one of his films. Mm-hmm. Uh, Sir Anthony Hopkins actually turned down the role to play Alfred, wow. but Caine is essentially perfect as yeah. as Alfred in this trilogy. I Penny love the uh, the accent
0: just <laughs> towards the end of, in the third act uh, <laughs> when he's
1: like never.
0: No, dude, I was going to say, I'm so – my favorite Kane line in this film is, never. Never. (laughs) He says it twice, yeah. (sighs) You
1: still haven't given up on me.
0: Never. Never.
1: And then, you know, you also have Katie Holmes as as Rachel, Uh and Nolan had said casted her because she had this next girl next door quality. Yeah. And you, you'll notice that Katie Holmes is not in The Dark Knight. Um, mm. She was going to reprise a role as Rachel, but actually turned it down mm. to star in Mad Money instead, which Ouch. is, man, Regrettable. <laughs> yeah. Regrettable career I decision. Did she,
0: I, I saw, I looked this up and she is quoted as saying, I don't regret my decisions because they were the right decision for me at the time. I'm like, okay. please, like you regret it. <laughs> Come on. Maggie Gyllenhaal <laughs> yeah. stole your yeah. performance.
1: Dark Knight or uh, Mad Money. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I, I do really like Katie Holmes in in Batman Begins. I actually think I prefer her to to Maggie Gyllenhaal in The Dark Knight. And, yeah. uh she's so right. I, I yeah.
0: So it wasn't a big loss for me. <laughs> I like Maggie Gyllenhaal too. I mean, right, I, so, I, yeah, yeah, I don't we, mind weave we each other out. I don't mind Katie Holmes in this, but uh, I like Maggie like Gyllenhaal, Gyllenhaal a little bit more. One of the
1: performance wanted to shout out, you know, and old Liam Neeson is in this, but oh, of course. Uh, Tom Wilkinson, I forgot about, Yeah. forgot how good he was in Batman Begins, that first scene with Bruce Wayne uh-huh. at like the bar restaurant, he's mm-hmm. like begged for mercy, begged like a dog. Yeah, um, he's intense. In the joint, Chill told me, uh, told me about the night he killed your parents. He said your father begged for mercy, begged. Like a dog. Really well written scene. Yeah. Really great acting chemistry uh-huh. between him and Bale, and I, I just kind of had forgot that he played this small part. But yeah,
0: it's a. I mean, it's a moderately or, you know big medium, part yeah, Carmine, part, He plays yeah. Carmine Falcone. Um, right. I mean, and there really is like this nice little trio of villains in this film. You know, there's there's Scarecrow, uh, Doctor Crane, but then there's of course Raz Al Ghul. Uh, who really is kind of the bigger villain than Scarecrow. Scarecrow is kind of like the comic booky y villain, um, but Razal Ghoul is kind of the one terrorizing Gotham along with uh, Scarecrow. Um, and, you know, that comes to a head at the third act and the final climax in the train. But yeah, um, but then, of course, Carmine Falcone is sort of like the practical villain, the, you know, the yeah, underbelly mobster, mobster villain within the film. Yeah. So regarding the
1: this dark tone that Nolan took with Batman Begins like yeah. one of the scenes that I really love and I think really exemplifies that tone is the scene at the, at the docks mm. earlier on I think like towards like the end of the first act uh-huh. it's just it's shot and staged just like a monster picking off like easy prey in a horror film but the monster mm. is our quote unquote hero mm-hmm. Batman like this is Batman this is Not George Clooney in a nipple suit and Arnold, let's kick some ice, Schwarzenegger. Mm. Like, this is what I'm talking about. Or, like, the scene where it's pouring down rain, Batman pulls up Mark Boone Jr.'s character Uh with, like, the grappling hook gun, hangs him upside down during the questioning, like, the intimidation on display. And the way it's executed, it's just, it's it's like a monster film. And it's just, like, that is so dope. That is so so radically different than anything that this comic book genre had seen into this point.
0: Yeah. There was never
1: scenes like that. Yeah.
0: And the film really is broken down into a three act structure and they're like intensely different three acts. And Mm -hmm. it's something that, uh, David Goyer and, and Nolan have said that they really worked hard to make it feel like these weren't two separate films where it's like the backstory origin where it's, it's, uh, cutting between we see Bruce Wayne doing his like studying with uh, right training yeah his his training and he's in the prison to start and then he's in that big facility with we learn is Raz al Ghul and the drug that he tries and then he saves Liam Neeson sliding down the mountain which was a little far fetched he definitely would have ruptured his pectoral muscle when he <laughs> Liam Neeson is hanging off that mountain I'm like come on yeah. that guy That guy would have fallen. That's a ripped pectoral. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs)
1: Nolan said that he wanted to show Batman from a criminal's point of view, like Mm. by showing less, less of him. And Mm -hmm. Nolan said, quote, like you would see him as more frightening. There would be more suspense when Bruce Wayne is explaining. uh, It's during the scene when he's on the private plane with Alfred and he's like Mm. trying to just kind of like explain the concept of Batman. And he's like, it must be something elemental, terrifying. (laughs) Like it's great line reading, really I cool love line. That. Yeah. Of course, the the use of the fear factor toxin is very effective and quite frightening at times. Like uh-huh. when they show how other characters' faces like morphed into your worst fears, and like mm-hmm. I remember when I yeah, first saw that, just being like pretty startled by how horrific some of that
0: imagery was. Yeah, definitely.
1: So I want to I want to hit on the score. And then I just have a couple other, you know, random notes and thoughts about Batman Begins before handing out our awards. The score was by composer gods, Hans Zimmer and James Newton Howard. So Uh Nolan asked Hans Zimmer to provide the score and Zimmer asked him if he could bring on James Newton Howard as well. And the two composers, they'd been meaning to work together for some time and they felt like it'd be the perfect project for the two of them to take mm. on given the bipolar lead character. So like the score, and we'll talk about it a, a more in the dark night. Cause it really goes to the next level in, in that film. Yeah. Just the thunder is score. As soon as like the Warner logo flashes in the opening seconds of the film, like uh-huh. it just becomes like the Sonic trademark for the trilogy. Mm. And when you hear that, you just know you're in Nolan's Gotham, no doubt. There's just, there's so many cool like a reoccurring you know motifs from the score that just run throughout the entire mm-hmm. trilogy, and it just you know much like uh, Batman assembling his gear montage, like it just jacks me up. Like I don't yeah, know, it, it, me it too. really it, it is an incredible score throughout this trilogy, and I I can't say enough good things about it.
0: A quick hit on the score for me in in terms of the Batman Begins score, um, it does it it is driven by that pitter patter like that that is so yeah. uh such a staple of Nolan films and, and it drives the anticipation factor and the the tension momentum. and the suspense yeah. momentum yeah everything building upon and it and it really um it never really like crests to a a final point where like the climax the yeah and there's the, the crescendo, crescendo it and, doesn't really yeah. occur until the third act of this film like it finally gets to that big point when he's yeah. he's chasing Ra's Ghul in the in the train and that kind of stuff and uh, yeah so it's just like this great like anticipatory score in the first uh, you know hour and a half of this film and it's it just really does a, a great service to the 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 building of the story
1: So Batman Begins also introduces another new Nolan trademark, and that is the practice of showing all of his movie's credits uh, at the end of the movie, including the title. Mm,
0: so mm-hmm.
1: that that's a very fist-pump moment where yeah. it just flashes. Batman Begins, The Dark Knight, The Dark Knight Rises at the very right. end. You know, Nolan decided there'd be no second unit for this film, so for the entire shooting production schedule, which is 129 days, He oversaw every shot of the movie personally. I think that just really helps crystallize your vision. Right, the consistency, yeah, hundred percent all the way through. He did the same Mm -hmm. for The Dark Knight.
0: Yeah, and with Wally um, Pfister shooting both, and nominated for Best Cinematography Oscar for both films. The a characteristic of Nolan's Batman is when he's talking
1: with Gordon, he kind of suddenly vanishes. And the uh-huh. influence from this is actually from All the President's Men, those scenes mm. with Bob Woodward and Deep Throat where he just basically uh, disappear from the conversation when Woodward's back was turned, which I thought was cool. And again, like taking influence from these classic films, you know, from the 1970s and, and you mm-hmm. know, bringing that into the Batman comic book world is just, is just really cool. And I also think just like, the final action sequence on the monorail, like, is just mm. a masterclass and in, in editing. Like this is the yeah. biggest canvas Nolan had shot on to, to date, mm-hmm. you know, at this point in his career. And I feel like it it marks the first time in his career where he's shooting, you know, large-scale action sequences and set pieces. Like before this, you know, the films were more centered, you know, on uh you know, suspense and interiors and just a few characters. Like this is some, like, mission impossible, you yeah. know, stuff going down. and Epic action. I love, you know, the final scene um, with Gordon on the rooftop. He hands the Joker card, like, and you'll never have to, and he leaps off. Like, it's just mm-hmm. a great, you know, coda to the entire film. And, you know, Batman Begins and inspired the reboot of the James Bond film franchise. And mm. basically they wanted to reinvent the James Bond character, by making him darker and more realistic with Casino Royale, which came mm-hmm. out a year later. So we'll get in, you know, with the Dark Knight at the end, just talking about the influence that these films have, but that was one that I wanted to point out, specifically for, for Batman Begins. Um, yeah, it's a great one. Rob, do you want to hand out some rewards before? Yeah,
0: let's do some awards, and yeah. then we'll get into the Dark Knight a little bit more. So um, why don't you start with your uh, best moment of Batman Begins? So my best moment is maybe it's yours
1: I don't know but we actually haven't really talked too much about this the, yeah. the tumbler chase scene it's which is essentially me too a tank flying over the rooftops yeah. of Gotham it's on highways you know how Nolan envisioned, envisioned the tumbler is something that could just actually exist like again yeah. trademark time and time again the sound design in yes. that the the way it just like rumbles uh-huh. is freaking just awesome
0: she was built as a bridging vehicle. During combat, two of these would jump over a river towing cables.
1: He does have to cross that waterfall gap like every time to get in the back cave. Is, <laughs> yeah. is pretty inconvenient, but yeah. you know you're you're trying to your secret identity and you know you need it. You need your seclusion. But right. is that is that your your best? Yeah, it's like so a long it's the, sequence. It's I have to say a moment, but like i had to i had to put it there
0: no yeah and it's about an hour and a half into the film when when rachel gets drugged by scarecrow at that water treatment facility and then batman rescues her and then leaves in the the tumbler batmobile um it yeah some great lines in that um gordon played by gary oldman's like i'll get my car and batman goes i brought mine yours and then it drives by and he's like, I got to get me one of those. Like, yeah. it's a little bit cheesy, True. but it yeah. actually kind of works because the, the vehicle is so badass. Like, yeah. it, it actually, I was like, oh, yeah, I got to get me one of those. Like, it's, <laughs> right. it's incredible. But the the inspiration for this vehicle um, comes from Nolan pretty directly. He said he wanted to make a Lamborghini mixed with an with a Humvee. And that mm-hmm. was, like, where they started in terms of the design concept and Uh, Apparently, like the very first sort of design came from a a Play-Doh mold that Nolan did in his garage with Crowley, the, the production designer, and they... They, uh, Crowley built a variety of plastic models to hone the design. And then they actually went out and like built this thing. Um, you know, the jet engine, the, the wing flaps for like stability and it has stealth mode where it goes super quiet. Yeah. It's crazy. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. That sequence though, when he like purposefully traps himself on the roof of the parking deck and then blows up the side and just jumps onto the adjacent roof and like pummels the shingles on the building. <laughs> uh yeah and yeah like you said the way this it, is very to, just like macho
1: like lizard brain like it's just it is. so badass but it I mean, is he i mean drives on just,
0: he like crushes cop cars he just drives right, right. over them and yeah the way it, it soars through the waterfall and and comes to yeah, like yeah. a skidding stop in the bat cave it's like what's more exhilarating than that on screen yeah.
1: so all right we we're share the, the best page moment. on the tumblr we're pro tumblr um yeah what is your your best performance of the film
0: Okay, I'm going with Christian Bale as Bruce Wayne, Batman. Um, he, we've talked about this already a little bit, but he has so much to do to establish this character again, reprise and reinvent the role. Um, there's so much baggage that comes along with playing this character, um, yeah, and you know, just wearing that bat suit. Yeah, the right. expectations, but the the movie's success really hinges on that leading performance, and uh, like I touched on, his physicality in the role, his. You know his sexiness, as Becky would say. Um, he looks good as the billionaire playboy, but also in the bat suit. Um, yeah, can be a and he was thirty thing. years old. He was thirty years old when yeah. they filmed this. Like pretty, he was younger young. than us. Man, that's like yeah, a weird thought. A little depressing. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the voice um, he inhabits is great, as we mentioned. The guttural, throaty, deep voice uh, I think works really well. Um yeah. And yes, yeah, we we touched on everything. It, Bale makes this movie, and it you know the trilogy would not be what it is without him. Yeah,
1: I agree. I mean, it, it's it's got to be Bale, I, Killian Murphy. I mean, there's not a bad performance in.
0: in yeah, this there's movie. some great ones.
1: So best soundbite, I am going with that thunderous. Mm. Shook, 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 shook. The score that again just like nice it's the sonic cue that just immediately puts you in the Nolan Batman world forever huh. and it is uh you know I could break down the score in you know a lot of different ways but that is I think the the most iconic piece of it and while there's a lot of great you know other parts of sound design and line readings and you know best sound bite
0: as we said is kind of a can be very
1: broad in a way, yeah. But that—that's what I'm going with. What about you?
0: That's a great one. Um, so yeah. I'm going with a quote actually for my best soundbite, and it occurs almost exactly an hour into the film, and it's when Bruce is in the Cave with with Alfred, and he's like, he's sharpening the little throwing star type Batman things, yeah. and and uh, Alfred just goes, "Why bats, Master Wayne?" <laughs> and then Bruce goes bats frighten me it's time my enemies shared my dread (laughs) it's a great line reading and then he he, there's a whoosh and a smash of the batman symbol like throwing star into the wall and that's that's followed directly by the first time we see batman in the bat suit in action he he goes to the the shipping container yard and takes on carmine Falcone's team of mobsters and beats them all up and like you know hangs them by their feet from the the rafters or whatever and so it's really the first time and if if you you know believe this as the the origin story of batman it's his first time really doing action and beating up bad guys and and doing everything and we see carmen Falcone like draped over that big floodlight with the the you know hanging cloth from his sleeves to make it look like the batman symbol for the first time it's just an amazing sequence and it and it just kind of summarizes everything that this film is trying to do where it e- explains why he chose the bats what what the origin of this character and this alter ego persona is really all about um so that that's my best soundbite All right
1: let's get on to the the WTF award the WTF just the idea of calling bats <laughs> like how does that
0: work <laughs> He's got some this. like
1: telepathic.
0: It's the sonar, like the. Uh, yeah, I think it's yeah, sonar. he's got right the so little like, sound that so they can read that Bruce bats w- pick up.
1: Yeah, I, I, okay, I get maybe. maybe I mean, yeah. I, you
0: know. Okay, he, he presses a <laughs> button out of a thing in his boot. That's what really happens.
1: So I will say, I also want to use this point to say that they used, of course, real bats in the instances where there are just one to two bats in the shot. However, mm-hmm. though, and unfortunately. The scenes where there's flocks of bats, they had to be done with CGI since it was just too difficult to control that many bats at once. And yeah. like, you did not want to be the you know whatever script supervisor who had to tell <laughs> Nolan that they had to use CGI bats. Like,
0: how yeah. pissed off was Nolan? It's like, well, I need real bats. Right. He made a point of uh, as. I think in his words, he said he wanted to capture some hero bats, like practical bats on screen. But apparently they're like a complete nightmare to work with and untrainable. uh, Very, very difficult. (laughs) Right. I can't direct these bats. Right. (laughs) I'm walking off the set. No. (laughs) But yeah, he definitely made a point of like filming some actual bats and trying to mix that in with the CGI. Like, you know, leave it to Nolan to film direct bats. But yeah, uh, that's a that's a great choice.
1: Um, What is your... Uh, your WTF?
0: I'm going with the appearance of Jack Gleason as the little boy. Uh, he is he is credited as the little boy in this movie. So Jack Gleason plays Joffrey Baratheon in Game of Thrones. Oh yeah. And yeah he's about eleven me. or twelve in this film when he appears, and obviously hadn't been cast as uh yeah. joff king joff yet yeah it's just jarring as fuck when you when he appears on screen yeah. upon rewatch it's like oh my god it's it's joffrey you know and yeah so yep. my actually what the fuck moment is that he he reappears in the third act when uh when raza is about to turn on that massive like microwave emitter that vaporizes the water of Mm -hmm. the whole city or whatever he reappears and it doesn't really make sense like he's just this random boy yeah but that's my i i don't get why he was showing up twice and yeah a fun fact about jack leeson he actually retired from acting after his role as joffrey Mm uh at the you know the fateful end at the purple wedding it's interesting that he has not Uh, He said he wanted to just act as a hobby and he never wanted it to be his career. And after people in the street
1: just like started throwing things at him (laughs) because Joffrey is such a despised character. Yeah. Yeah. He is Um, not
0: credited with anything after Game of Thrones. It's interesting. So
1: most lasting image for me, I'm going with Batman perched on the Gotham skyscrapers, looking down Mm. on the dregs of, of Gotham. Yeah. On the citizens brooding alone. By the way, who... Like who is that for? Like that's for him. Like, like who's the audience within that world? Like, no one's like, oh, there's bat Like he's just, just something he just there. is compelled to do. It's a like metaphor Ben sets his equal <laughs> equilibrium. I-, I I don't know. He's
0: looking out over the city which he dwells. Yeah, I mean it's it's
1: an incredible image though. So that's that's yeah. what I'm going with. And again, it's like, a great shot, great iconography with. You know that Nolan is introducing into the, into you know the Batman canon.
0: Yeah, that's a great choice. Um, so for my lasting image, again, this is the image that just pops up in your head when you think about this movie. I'm going with the training sequence in the first act when Bruce Wayne and and uh, Ra's al Ghul, uh, Liam Neeson, Ra's al Ghul, who uh, are fighting on that ice uh, patch, and it's actually shot on a glacier in um in iceland it's the largest glacier at the scaftal scaftafell nature reserve uh so yeah just these like icelandic landscapes always um stuck out to me it's supposed to be in bhutan in the himalayas but it's it's shot in iceland um i just love the first act of this movie i remember the feeling i kind of had an opposite experience of you in the theater where i actually had an amazing first uh experience seeing this film in the theater and during that first act i was just so damn excited by the way they were presenting this origin story and the potential it had like just seeing him beat up those guys in the prison yard in like the first two minutes of the film i'm like i'm all in like this is yeah. this is awesome you know that no so, robin <laughs> yeah so just <laughs> yeah, like yeah. that blue glacier glacial ice uh really stuck out to me and i always think about that scene first for some reason <laughs>
1: Anger does not change the fact that your father failed to act. The man had a gun. Would that
0: stop you? I've had training. The training is nothing. The will is everything. The will to act.
1: This might be a spicy take, but I'm going to say it as my last note on Batman Begins: is that it's not even the best movie in this trilogy mm. but i think it's better than any marvel movie that's ever been made batman mm. begins like I, I would put it above all you know why I, i've enjoyed you know quite a few marvel movies and uh-huh. you know, we've talked about them a lot on the pod like i think if the dark knight is you know the godfather part two you know of, of sure. like the comic book world like the batman begins is like the good is film. the godfather yeah yeah i mean
0: yeah i guess Seriously. easier point to make is is the godfather i i think there's an argument to be made that this is the best film in the trilogy yeah. it's obviously not the biggest or most successful but without this film being what it is i don't think the dark knight trilogy maybe even happens you know like uh the fact that this works so well and the way that they fleshed out bruce wayne you know christian bale's uh reprisal as Bruce Wayne. Like I, I just think it works so so well and there is a part of me that wants to call it the best in the trilogy. <sighs> Gonna get nuts. Um all right well on that note let's fast
1: forward three years later to the release of The Dark Knight. A year ago these uh cops and lawyers wouldn't dare cross any of you. I mean
0: what happened?
1: So what are you proposing? It's simple. Kill the Batman. So the hype. We talked about the hype going into Batman Begins. I mean, the hype leading up to this film's release in July 2008 was just off the charts. Yeah. In a way, I mean, I, I you know, I guess like you know, Avengers Endgame, You could point to you know, you could point mm-hmm. to a certain example of the last ten years, but it is definitely in our lifetime one of the most hyped films of all time going into it and i yeah. recall the the teaser trailer the summer before where you you first heard ledger's voice as the joker and right. you're just like whoa what does this dude have up his sleeve yes and that first dis- teaser
0: it's it's just audio and we see like the right. batman symbol and and yeah, yeah. it's just some voices like cards you yeah. know yeah. michael kane yeah
1: yeah some men just want to watch the world burn um right December the December before December two thousand seven, I went to go see I Am Legend solely because Mm. the first official trailer. It was the first Dark Knight trailer with actual footage attached to it. This was a time you know seems radical now, but this was before you know trailers. You know now drop online. Yeah, everyone with an internet connection can instantly see them. Right seems crazy but it wasn't that long ago where there was this exclusive window where you could only see a new trailer by going to see the movie that that trailer was attached to so that's mm-hmm. exactly what I did for I am legend mm-hmm. and that first trailer in my opinion is one of the greatest trailers and pieces of movie marketing in the history of cinema I agree we'll dive deep in, in part four into the way Nolan markets his movies but I want to yeah. shout out that specific trailer because it is just absolute dynamite just a masterpiece of 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 content
0: Evening, Commissioner. Why
1: so serious?
0: Where is he? People are dying. What would you have me do? Endure. You can be the outcast. You can make the choice that no one else will face
1: right choice gotham needs you
0: that's a fucking trailer right there like it it does show (laughs) you a ton of the best shots of the film but in this case who cares like (laughs) usually that pisses me off but it's so incredibly fun to watch and anyone who sees that trailer like is who's not going to want to see that movie after yeah, like, watching yeah. that trailer. Like I'll oh, catch it they on spoiled v- it. VOD. I'm not going to go see it. Like, no, it's, yeah. it's all there, yeah. but it's incredible and just makes you want to see everything. Um, I, a fun fact about that trailer that I noticed watching it last night on the Blu-ray, they put all the trailers on there, which is kind of cool. Um, the first shot of that trailer, which is the first bit of footage that anyone in the public ever sees from the dark Knight, is actually the last shot of the film. Yeah. As he's driving up that ramp. Uh, it's pretty, pretty cool. Yeah. You've changed things. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I I could recite the entire trailer like word for word. Um, so I have to
1: say quickly, this very, this anecdote I have about, Mm. and this is, I'm admitting, I'm sharing this, but it is a, Very privileged story where I probably come off like an entitled brat (laughs) lacking perspective, but I need to share it. Okay. So July, 2008, my lovely parents had planned a big, like two week family vacation in Europe. Mm. Amazing. You know, we're going to Europe together. (laughs) It's first, first, yeah, first time in, in Europe. And it just so happened, you know, this was planned, you know, many months in advance. It, we were there for two weeks. The Dark Knight's release drops in the middle weekend of this trip. Like the worst possible time for me to be missing out. It wasn't like the last weekend where I'm coming back and like it's opening weekend. I can go see it the next day or like (laughs) the first weekend where I caught like the Thursday night screening and then I'm off to Europe. It's like the middle. So I, okay, the middle, I remember I was in Venice, Italy, gorgeous place, (laughs) but all I needed to, I needed to go to an internet cafe to check the Rotten Tomatoes score the day it came out. You know, again, this is like before Twitter really, you know, like Finding out the buzz of how things were happening is like, yeah. you know, I, and so go to Rotten Tomatoes. I log, you know, I, I search The Dark Knight. I see it's at a, like a 94%. Right. And for a comic book this was like unheard of. Like Where exactly it stands right now. 94% right.
0: critics and
1: audience. 94%. I lo- then I go like, I log into Facebook. Which was, you know, still cool at the time. Uh-huh. I see all these posts: greatest film of all time, Heath right. Ledger is the Joker. Oh my god! And just like my heart, it is to this day the most FOMO I've ever, I think ah. I've ever felt with anything in pop culture That's ever. Great. Because it was this rare thing where, like, I couldn't, you know, I could have, I think, technically gone to see it at the local Italian cinema, but it would have been like in Italian and subtitles, and like <laughs> that would have been a weird first experience. But I like the u- movie universe was dangling this in front of me where like I remember being in in Rome a few days later and one of those large like tourist bus going past me and it's like a blow-up poster of like the dark the Joker and the Dark Knight like staring at me and it just I don't know. I just like
0: drop well, my knees now. Um, I think I speak for our entire listening audience, Ben. When I say I'm very sorry that you had to slum it up in Venice and Rome during right. <laughs> during that hey, ju- uh, I, July 2008. I did say at the beginning that I, I'm a little ashamed of
1: this, but <laughs> I had to for the pod share it's shared great. my honest truth when That's, I was, uh, you know, a snot nosed like sophomore and college or yeah. yeah this was i think right or the in between our sophomore and juniors years of college but that sounds
0: right yeah anyway it, I, it lives on right now as the number four all-time film on imdb's top rated movies list by user ratings so yeah. uh only above it are the shawshank redemption and the godfather and the godfather part two and yeah. then it's the dark the Knight.
1: imdb uh, community loves the
0: loves dark this movie. film um yeah and i think just last time i'm going to mention this but it is noteworthy that in between Batman Begins and The Dark Knight there was the prestige Um, it is very fascinating that they took the time and and Nolan has said that it was ultimately a, a great decision that they they kind of did they went away did something else got their minds off of Batman made another successful film and then came back to it you know they had ideas they let them you know fester and linger And then they came back years later and and thought, what actually do we want to do with this sequel? And where is it going to go? Where is this franchise headed? Um, And, you know, it's very notable that at the end of Batman Begins, uh, Gordon, Lieutenant Gordon at the time, hands uh, Batman this Ziploc bag and he turns it over and it's the Joker card in it and apparently you know I remember seeing Batman Begins in the theater the audience like completely lost their shit when he flips over that Batman oh, or that yeah, uh, yeah. that Joker card <laughs> right it's like oh well we all see how it's coming but it actually it has to be said that each individual film in this franchise was a singular contract with Christopher Nolan and and the production team like they there was no guarantee that there this was going to be even a sequel or a trilogy and it was only because of the success of of Batman Begins that they got the opportunity to make this film and Nolan has said that he didn't really he didn't really even like understand the Joker character when Batman Begins came out and he wasn't sure that he wanted to make another film you know until mm-hmm. like months after Batman Begins came out so It's just worth noting, like it all seems like it was strategically designed as this trilogy from the very jump, but it actually wasn't. Um, I think that's fascinating to look back on. For sure. So when I think about The Dark
1: Knight, like just as the movie itself, it really is this grand epic saga of a story. And Mm -hmm. I think it's interesting to note that pretty much all the main action in this movie takes place over just nine days and nights. So Mm. it's actually the shortest time span of of any movie from this trilogy. The screenplay was written by Nolan and his brother, Jonathan. Uh Uh, It takes place roughly just nine months after Batman begins ended Mm -hmm. and this is the only one of Nolan's movies that has like complete end to end linear storytelling. Yeah, I was going to mention that. Which as is well. interesting. You know, the plot does not take the viewer back and forth through different time periods to tell the story. Mm-hmm. You know, it, in parts one and two of the Chris Nolan Chronicles, we talked about all the ways that Nolan twists his narrative storytelling. But in The Dark Knight, it's his most linear film. And thematically, like with a lot of Nolan movies, you know, Dark Knight provokes really interesting questions, and here it's about everything from like systems and power, to mm-hmm. politics, to domestic terrorism, and like a post nine eleven world. Mm-hmm. You know, the police forces. You know, there's just all these like brainy ideas that were basically non-existent in comic book movies prior to the release of, you know, to a lesser extent, Batman Begins. But the Dark Knight really like doubles down on these themes, and it emphasizes like the burden of being Batman. And this is, this is explored deeper in the dark Knight rises, which mm-hmm. we'll talk about in part four, but you know, I will say, despite its tone, there are many moments that remind you, I think on purpose that you are watching a movie based off a comic book. Like, right. I think of, you know, the, the courtroom scene with Harvey Dent in the first act mm-hmm. where he like disassembles the gun. It's like so performative mm-hmm. and just like so much of like a comic book. I love the that way even he does despite that, though. How, <laughs> yeah, how serious and adult The Dark Knight is. There oh. are a lot of moments where you know Nolan kind of does have it both ways, in a sense. Yeah. But okay, let's um, let's just talk about the Joker. Yeah. <laughs> let's just get into it. Um,
0: it's all part of the plan.
1: Come on, hit me! <laughs> let's put a smile on that face so i mean this is the pillar of this movie the franchise you know and beyond so heath ledger of course his interpretation of the joker's appearance was primarily based off the chaotic and disheveled look of sid vicious who's from Mm. the sex pistols Combined with the psychotic mannerisms of Malcolm McDowell's character, Alex DeLarge and Stanley mm. Kubrick's A Clockwork Orange, though that's just a very provocative idea to combine, yeah. you know, pull those influences. And, you know, Nolan and his co-writers made the decision very early on not to explore the Joker's origins at all. This was mm. so the character could be presented as, quote, an absolute, which mm. I think is a great decision. That could have just become distracted and mm-hmm. dragged And Like, I just I just love that they, they cut out you know, any kind of origin story, even though the Joker in a few scenes kind of does this unreliable narrator telling of like how he got these scars and a little mm-hmm. bit of his backstory. It's, it's really, he's just kind of this like freight train that just like doesn't stop from the, from the jump, from that opening bank high scene, which is just incredible. And it's obviously an amazing, amazing performance. Like mm-hmm. acting does just not, Their performance is as good, you mm-hmm. know, in film history as good as ledger as the joker i don't know if there's been a performance better yeah it's better than than, it's hard to compare ever right it it just it doesn't get any better than this and it's such a richly drawn and well-written character too and i don't Mm -hmm. think they get enough credit for like the writing of the joker's dialogue Mm, definitely so many iconic line reading you know why so serious which became like the official marketing slogan for the movie right And here we go, which is like the most, one of the most widely used gifts in like Twitter history. Right. It's all part of the plan. How about Uh a magic trick? When you're good at something, never do it for free. I'm an agent of chaos. Like it's just. (laughs) All of those quotes are
0: so great. Yeah. 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 Well, and there is a bit of, so there was a lot of speculation about who was going to play this part and then. Pretty early on in the process, uh, between um, the Prestige and and the Dark Knight, uh, it was it was you know given to Heath Ledger and made public and but he it was so early on that he had a lot of time to really craft the role and and do a lot of research and uh, yeah. sort of notoriously like try out a bunch of voices and create his diary of the character really dive deep into it um, you know he obviously won the the Academy Award and, you know, AFI SAG Award, uh, all the acting BAFTA, like, posthumously, unfortunately, uh, tragically. Um, but the performance really, the the sheer quality of it can't really be overstated. Uh, he Apparently, he said uh, he, he looked at a lot of Charlie Chaplin and Buster Keaton films to get influences for the physicality of the performance and just the way that, he kind of moves in the frame and, mm. um, you know, there's Jonathan Nolan, uh, you know, talks about the influences of the character and this like mythological archetypal figure of the trickster. And yeah, mm. I'll get to this a little bit more, I think, in the best performance, which obviously I'm is going to Heath Ledger. But uh,
1: yeah. Spoiler. Yeah. You know, another aspect of his performance that I just love is, like, those facial tics, like, mm. the licking of his lips, the right. twitching, the snarling, it just all adds up to this this portrait of a maniac. Mm-hmm. You know, as Maroney says to Batman, like, you've got no rules, or you've got rules, the Joker, he's got no rules, uh-huh. and that is that is just so telling of, like, what the Joker, his just point of view on the entire world is definitely agent of, of chaos. And yeah, you know, in in the third act, you know, he's like instigating citizen on citizen violence. Like Mm -hmm. chaos is the message, which is like just such a radical, like powerful, just like right plot point, Uh, you know? And
0: yeah, well the, uh, the idea of anarchy being the central motivation of the character makes him so menacing and scary. And like he just wants to cause harm for his own entertainment like that's his yeah. central I'm a dog
1: chasing cars. Yeah, I don't know if like, I just do what if I caught it. It's just know?
0: terrifying to think about no like code. again goes to that that war on terror theme of like the senseless crime and and just chaos for the the sense of of chaos. And yeah, it's definitely something that Nolan says is a big fear of his in like not being in control of your own life. And, and the Joker is the, the living embodiment of that fear.
1: Yeah. And, you know, tragically passed six months before the film's release. And Uh it's just, you know, so sad on so many levels and just thinking about what his career could have been. I mean, just imagine like mm-hmm. this coming out, he would have gotten, of course, the same accolades that he did because the performance is that good mm-hmm. and just the type of roles and choices he would have made. I mean, he was so young, like he had such a long career ahead of him and like, uh-huh. just talk about a, a long, you know, he was obviously a, a big name when this came out or, you know, before this came out, yeah. but talk about just like catapult, like oh, into man. just, He would have. He could have done anything he
0: wanted after this. Yeah, and
1: this would have been, you know, uh, yeah. I mean, it's
0: tragic. It's it's hard to think about. Yeah, yeah. But um,
1: anyway, we'll we'll definitely touch you know on the Joker throughout as we continue this discussion. I do want to talk about you know Aaron Eckhart as Harvey Dent, Mm. kind of this proud like idealistic American. He kind of represents order, where Joker represents chaos, and Batman's Mm kind of like somewhere in between, and. You know, Eckhart says he modeled his performance in part after uh, Robert F. Kennedy, both in terms of mm. like his initially polished and dashing ex- appearance mm-hmm. and then his preoccupation with revenge. You know, Eckhart, we talked about all the great lines that, that the Joker has, like he has two of the most referenced and quotable lines in the movie, which are, you know, you either die a hero or you live long enough to see yourself become the villain. Uh-huh. The night is dark as just before the dawn. Mm. And I, something I noticed, you know, in the 50th time I rewatched this, uh-huh. like his hair gets slightly messier, like as his character turns. Like, it's <laughs> oh, like, nice. oh man, the bangs are coming in. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh,
0: it's getting sloppy. But yeah,
1: I, I think Eckhart really, really works overall. Yeah, I mean, and then, you know, Michael Kane, I, I want to say. So good.
0: He's better in this one. Yeah.
1: 23 watches to comprehend the story he tries to tell Bruce Wayne during the Rubies. Oh. Bend it. Come to a yeah, like the accent is coming on thick. Thick. <laughs> the Lamborghini done. <laughs> yeah. Much more, much more subtle. Subtle. <laughs> the Lamborghini then. Yeah, that that's like the uh, bat pod then. With well, the sticker at the yeah. end. Of, yeah, the bat, Would you be wanting the bat pod, Chuck? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that was solid. Will you be wanting the bat pod, sir? In
0: the middle of the day, Alfred. Not very subtle.
1: The Lamborghini then. Ah! Much more subtle. Yeah. Damn. I, yeah, I blacked out. What happened? Uh, um, all right, so the Dark Knight. I, here's the thing about the Dark Knight that I just kind of go back to, you know, uh, beyond, of course, the obvious of, of the Ledger performance and, and you know the the grand epic scale of uh-huh. film and everything is like it, it's just like the scene, the collection of scenes. Like yeah. there are moments in this movie and story beats that that don't totally work, but mm-hmm. the bottom line is there are just so many damn good scenes that it just. It doesn't matter. Like the high, right. the highs in the Dark Knight are just the highest of highs. The highest in the highest genre that
0: cinema can sort of yeah, the yeah, feeling the, like you blockbuster get, filmmaking yeah, right. can
1: can can do. Right. It, it, it 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 achieves ultimate achievement. Right, <laughs> whatever. <laughs> so I, let's just talk about some of these scenes. Like yeah, the descent in Hong Kong, like the h the HDness of it. Mm. Like how did this scene look look Rob on, on Blu-ray? I mean on your setup like it's great it's just, yeah <laughs> the the colors are
0: crisp uh yeah yeah <laughs> the
1: deep blue like right when he you know we mentioned earlier i you know the device for the timed explosives and assembles it and like leaps off the building mm. the camera like gliding with him uh-huh. and you you have the money shot with the cape like i remember seeing this in imax you know, and many scenes were shot in IMAX mm-hmm. format, which you haven't even mentioned yet, which was like revolutionary. At yeah. The time we Nolan. should, we should or talk no, about that
0: for, for film. Absolutely, Yeah.
1: Yeah. For film, not just for Nolan. And, you know, later in that sequence, you know, he's escaping via plane. Like, yeah, I don't know if there is, there is a more difficult way to like escape <laughs> something like that. But again, it's like, it's the stunt imagination yeah. that goes in a lot of these Nolan films. Uh-huh. That's just an incredible sequence. The, the bat pod chase scene yeah which is is i think the best action sequence in comic book film history mm. it it and that it starts like with that you know the overhead like helicopter shot of the police escort starting mm-hmm. into like you know the, the the shootout like in the underground like tunnel right to the emergence of the bat bike like yeah uh you know the bat it's it it, like ejection engage or right. when it
0: explodes out of the tumbler yeah he kind of sacrifices the tumbler to to save that the end of that sequence uh, the chase uh part of it in the Mm -hmm. the under the bridges but then the bat pod pops out and we're on the bat pod that thing when it's like just coasting through that mall or whatever it is and like smashing (laughs) through those glass panels and the sound design there it's notable that uh this film also won Best Sound Editing Oscar. Uh, Richard King won that Oscar for this film. I-, I think the soundscape is just incredible throughout this entire film, and it's like sort of unmatched. Like it's just so fun. You mm-hmm. could just close your eyes and listen to this film, and it's remarkable. Yeah. I fall asleep to it. <laughs>
1: And then you know that if that sequence ends with the, the you know truck, the semi truck uh, flipping, flipping. Yeah. upside down. I, I think that's I would probably say the best directed sequence of Nolan's career as well. And wow, the the interrogation scene that shortly follows, uh-huh. like, that's that is just I think probably Ledger's best. You know, in a series of just like mm. stellar. Scenes of him I think that is probably His best acting And like the yeah. writing For that character I would go
0: with either The interrogation scene Or when he's at the very end Hanging upside down uh, oh, yeah, yeah. But but the shot is Shown upright right. So his hair is like Above him That's such a cool shot Love that Yeah I mean just
1: That interrogation scene Like understanding Each character's ethos Of, of Batman And the Joker And just the duality Between the two How they each view the world It's just It's so good
0: No No, you, you complete me. You're garbage, you kills for money. Don't talk like one of them, you're not. Even if you'd like to be. To them, you're just a freak, like me. They need you right now. When they don't, they'll cast you out. The
1: sequencing of when, you know, Rachel, spoiler alert, perishes mm. and you know it's 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 showing uh harvey dent catching half of his face on fire Spoiler: right. word, he becomes you know two-faced right but cut to like batman standing over the wreckage um with alfred reading rachel's note and harvey dent waking up in the hospital bed screaming but there's like all it's mm. mute but there's like this high-pitched just like uh nails on the chalkboard type huh. screen that just like cuts out it's just this power is powerful filmmaking right it's amazing and it's just another example of the high craftsmanship uh, of filmmaking you know compared to just other blockbusters and the comic book genre that just Uh like had never really been handled with this this level of care and that's just like one of the many sequences and professionalism yeah this is next level Uh um the the hospital scene i mean joker in his most menacing form like Mm. His teeth, you ever look at his, t- how does teeth look in Blu-ray in this yeah. scene? Like the yellow teeth. Alarming. Um, I, I don't know if you've seen like the meme of like Two-Face not knowing it's the Joker until he the Joker takes oh, off his mask. That's <laughs> definitely like, a flaw. That is yeah, a flaw. That's, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but the blend of like Ledger's magnetic performance, uh-huh. you know, like the deep growl of his voice with the writing of the dialogue, right. you know, the thing about chaos, like it's fair. Mm. It's like, convincing in yeah, a way you're yeah. like oh yeah, you know you just got a point point," and right. it just completes the full corruption of harvey dent into 2 Face. like you buy into that development yeah introduce a little anarchy upset the
0: established order and everything becomes chaos i'm an agent of chaos
1: <laughs> oh and you know the thing about chaos it's bare.
0: the last scene i want to point out when he walks out think, sorry when he walks out of the hospital in that in that nurse's outfit and in that crazy sort of strut that walk that he does yeah, and then right, his gotham out, yeah. general blows up behind him that is mm-hmm. apparently they had they only had like one shot at that one <laughs> yeah, attempt Jesus. to blow up that massive structure believe it or not uh that yeah. shot is incredible
1: I think the movie's most underrated scene is that first film threat by the Joker, which I think is the most disturbing scene in comic book movie history. Mm. It starts with the hanging of the imposter Batman who gets like pressed up against the mayor's oh, yeah. glass office yeah cut to this found footage scene of the Joker tormenting this poor you know schlub mm. the look on the Joker's face like to the camera it's angled up this psychotic smile it's pure mm-hmm. like terrorism the look at me.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Gravel. Like the way
1: the Joker, like playfully, like slaps and then shushes him. And then it ends Uh with like a laugh scream. And then just like an abrupt cut. Like, it's just so, so effective. And I feel like that scene's not talked about enough. And Mm. when I first saw the movie in theaters, that was the moment where things just like elevated from that point forward, Mm -hmm. the level of realism and just the gravity of it all. Mm -hmm. Are you the real Batman? No. 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 No.
0: <laughs> then why do you dress up like him?
1: <laughs> he's a symbol that we don't yeah. have to be afraid of scum like you. Yeah. You do, Brian. You really do. <laughs> huh? Yeah. Oh shh, 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 shh. There's so many other scenes. You don't know, even mention like the, the bank heist scene or the you know how about a magic trick or mm-hmm. you
0: know the the first yeah the pencil disappearance.
1: scene of like it <laughs> just. Oh yeah, and the, it, the
0: clown yeah, doctor switcheroo scene toward the end when Joker and Batman yeah. fight at the end, I was gonna say Joker is a scary ass fist fighter oh, in that yeah, first yeah, yeah. minute against Batman. I'm like, is Joker about to win in this fist fight with like no yeah. armor? Well, he fights <laughs>
1: dirty. Yeah, and
0: he's like coming
1: down at him like
0: a ravaged like animal, yeah, like maniac. you know, and,
1: and just yeah, yeah. No, this it, it, is very very true. Uh. So, all right. I know we just rattled off a bunch of scenes that we love. And sure. there's even more that I love about The Dark Knight. and It's a movie I've seen literally over 30 times. That yeah. I, I made a list of some of just the small details and moments that I adore mm-hmm. about The Dark Knight that still stand out to me 12 years later. Let's just call this 10... Little things that I love about the Dark Knight okay. in no particular order. I'm ready for it. During the bank heist, how Joker like shoots his accomplice with his back turned. like He can't even be bothered. Oh, he just, yeah, like, yeah. You yeah. Know, just, know. <laughs> 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 okay. Uh, number two, uh, Batman crashing down on the van in his like introduction scene. Mm. Just how like perfect and iconic mm-hmm. that shot is. Three, Bruce Wayne's cockiness of during that first act dinner scene with Rachel and Harvey Dent where he's like, I own the place. Mm. You know, he's like, you know, just like, I love that again, like, you know, the playboy mansion assness of of Bruce Wayne for the last look of Joker as he exits during the the pencil scene where he's Mm. with the mob, like the way he like backpedals Mm. and he's like still staring out towards the camera (laughs) towards the mob. He like kicks the back door and like darts up the staircase. It's just an unsettling image. Yeah, He's like tracking the mob as he exits out he doesn't like leave their sight and he just like darts up these staircases huh. uh the dinner party scene the way joker chews like food and like carelessly picks up like champagne with like half of it falling out yeah. like, that's how i pick up champagne in dinner parties People yeah yeah it. They, they yeah he pours it, it out and
0: dinner. then takes the sip it's it's <laughs> right, so yeah. weird
1: yeah um during the bat pod fight sequence, the fire truck on fire, like the visual and ironic symbolism behind it. It's Uh like an object that's being destroyed by the very thing. It sets out to destroy itself. I feel like that's like a 10,000 word, like think piece. when (laughs) So bloggers go nuts after the semi truck flip later in that sequence, the way Joker gets up and like misfires, his gun contorts his neck with the sound of the wires, like coming undone in the background. And then he goes into like, come on, I want you to do it. I want you to do it. You know, Three more. The hospital room scene. Uh, just, This is very small detail, but like Joker's like, as he pulls up the bed Harvey Dent is in, he's like making the sound like clink, clink, clink. You mm. know what he's like, as he's like going up the bed, like it's just, I get a kick out of it. <laughs> love it. The sound of the bat pod, like the yeah. constant acceleration yeah. of it. It's similar to that Joker theme, uh-huh. plays off that duality. I love that. Yeah. And then the last, the the 10th uh, little moment that I love in The Dark Knight is the very slight look of disappointment the Joker has when both fairies in the final act decide not to blow each other up—it's like you almost yeah. feel sympathy for him. Like, ah, right. oh, you know, like oh. I kind of feel bad Damn. for him. Uh, you know, it's just—it it is kind of this human moment uh-huh. of the character, yeah, which a, is you know a wild.
0: tiny flash of humanity in a weird right. way, <laughs> yeah, right. humanity right, right, because right. they didn't kill each other, yeah, right, right. Well, so that was amazing. Great list. Uh, <laughs> let me. Let me just do two things that I love about this film, you know, on top of everything that you yeah, said. Yeah, everything I we talked about. I yeah, completely agree. Yeah. Um, so there's a another bonus feature slash supplemental material on this film called the psychology... I'm sorry, what is it called? Batman Unmasked the Psychology of the Dark Knight. So I just wanted to recommend that little supplemental thing, but it really, it goes into... This the dichotomy or the dual dual nature of these characters, um, especially Bruce Wayne and Batman, the split personality and life that he has, the the sort of Carl Jungian conscious versus unconscious self, the shadow side. Um, It just touches into a lot of like the psychology behind the the writing of these films and, you know, the exposure therapy uh, that we the scene in in Batman Begins when he goes into Uh, the the bat cave and purposefully exposes himself to bats and you know conquers his fear faces it and you know realizes that he's okay and moves past it all of that stuff uh, psychologically uh, just really interesting in terms of the storytelling and then in terms of uh, the Dark Knight I just love the the high frequency generator receiver being this like weapon of you know, you could say like privacy terror that Batman actually utilizes with Lucius Fox's help. Um, And they're both sort of apprehensive to use it. They say it's, you know, powerful too too much power for one person. Uh, They triangulate Joker's location using it, but then they, They basically destroy it after they use it. Um, You know, it's another element of tapping into the public's devices and personal data and information, spying by the government, all of this like war on terror Mm -hmm. stuff that we're living through at this time. Um, I I wanted to just sort of say, like, I think there's like a, a modern day high frequency generator receiver in the uh, under basement of Jeff, one of Jeff Bezos's compounds, just mashing signals from all the Alexas and Google Homes out there. Hundred um, percent. I mean, how do I get ads for something that I talked about in my kitchen thirty minutes ago, Ben? Like, can you please <laughs> yeah. explain this to me? I'm, I'm afraid. Yeah, yeah. yeah.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> now that does, yeah, fall into the third act of
1: the Dark Knight. And yeah. For as much as we love this movie. Things do get a bit unruly in that third act, and mm-hmm. I think this is something that Nolan has struggled with. In um, mm. you know, uh, there's multiple cases of this throughout his career mm-hmm. where he kind of just perhaps tries to do a bit too much, like bites off a bit more than than he can chew. You sure. know, to varied results. I, I do definitely respect the audacity and ambition to really yeah go for it, lay it all um, out there. It just it does it does kind of drag a little bit, and mm-hmm. you know maybe you could cut out like. Would the Dark Knight be even better if you cut out maybe ten minutes of the fat in yeah, the third it's act?
0: Two hours and thirty-two minute running time. Like, yeah, if two twenty might have been might have been a tighter film, but who are we to to complain about the Dark Knight? But it does end so strong with Gordon's
1: monologue over top of the montage of Batman like evading the authorities, mm-hmm. you know, the hero not the hero we deserve, but the hero we need. Mm-hmm. Again, a, a line that's just been referenced ad nauseum since and you know the world of sports and right culture um and then just the final shot going back to the first shot we ever saw in the trailer that you mentioned mm-hmm. in the beginning of this the bat pod cutting fading to black the dark knight yeah boom applause word the crowd goes wild yeah yeah, yeah. you know um and love it yeah so Let's, um, you know, I, I do want to say, like, the movie, it held the box office record for the largest opening weekend of all time. Oh, yeah. You know, that has, has since been surpassed, but... Um, it, it made, made over more... a billion dollars uh, worldwide yeah, gross. Made more money than Batman Begins' entire domestic run in only six days of release. Wow. Um, you know, one thing I, I I know you'll appreciate, um, the scene where Batman... Pauses on top of the parking garage, looking down on that spiraling entrance mm-hmm. ramp, mm-hmm. at an escaping van, planning the exact time to jump. Christian Bale, if you recall, in the two thousand classic American Psycho, oh. did the exact same oh, thing yeah. but with a chainsaw and yeah. a spiraling staircase. Wow. So, um, amazing you know, American Psycho. that's one of the movies we first bonded over. Had to mention <laughs> it. But let's um, that's Bone. Let's let's hand out some awards and then and then we'll we'll like end on. Just some overall legacy thoughts on the Dark Knight, and yeah. just uh, so, some, some, some sliding door moments.
0: That sounds great. So,
1: and we can, yeah, you know, we're 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 getting into the you know the late time mark here, but we're powering. Don't through. worry um, about it. We knew
0: this was going to be a long episode, and I hope yeah, you're enjoying. I'm it. sweating profusely.
1: <laughs> yeah. So, awards best moment. You know, for me, it's it's so so tough, as evident after ripping off like seventy different moments that I love in this movie, but uh-huh. ultimately have to go with the bat pod chase sequence. Nice. The beginning to end is just, I've said what needed to be said about it and Mm -hmm. I'll just leave it at that.
0: (laughs) Perfect. Um, So what better place to start for the best moment than the first six minutes of the film? Um, I'm going with the, the clown mask IMAX bank robbery scene as I call it. So seeing this film for the first time in the Airbus IMAX theater at the Udvar Hazy center in Chantilly, Virginia, mm. the anticipation, Ben, the, the waiting in line to get into the screening snaked around the air and space museum. Everybody is just freaking jacked. There is a buzz in the line that I like, I can still visualize m- me in that line with my buddy TJ. Like that's why theaters matter. Ben, like, when you sit back in those chairs in the IMAX theater and look up all around you and all of a sudden the massive Batman symbol comes flying toward you on the screen, engulfed in those massive blue flames, man, it like charges me up right now. Just thinking about it. Like my, my body was in shock watching this opening sequence. Like, so it cuts to this just massive helicopter uh, cityscape, you know, steady helicopter soaring shot in toward right. this glass building. All of a sudden, one of the windows blows out. Then we're in the building. It's just like the best. There's a clown mask. Uh, then we see the the classic shot of Joker standing on the corner, like holding the clown mask facing us, and the zip wiring clowns, and they're all like just and sort of the sh- the the structure of this scene unfolding. It's like this, this sort of six minute standalone short film on, on its own. Right. And, you know, they're talking about the Joker, this like unknown boss that is orchestrating this whole thing. And, um, a great appearance here for William Fitchner. I wanted to say, uh, oh, yeah, yeah. just gets the opening scene of one of the biggest movies of all time gets to take <laughs> on the Joker and damn near defeats <laughs> right. him in the opening yeah, minutes. Yeah. Like what Almost a, what up. a great, Fitchner performance here he's that that's when that I just have to read when he's like do you have any idea who you're stealing from you and your friends are dead (laughs) (laughs) it's and then he's like cocks his massive shotgun it's it's so good and then you know obviously the scene uh culminates with like no 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 I killed the bus driver and that that side step shot of the clown mask like looking right into the camera lens Um, Fitchner again is like talking about criminals in this town used to have honor and respect. What do you believe in? (laughs) And, uh, Joker is like, I believe whatever doesn't kill you simply makes you. And he takes his mask off. Stranger. And it's just, it's chilling. I love that moment. And notably that first time we see the Joker, it's slightly out of focus and that gets to something about Nolan breaking his own rules for this this character that has no rules. He shows this character for the first time and it's slightly soft. Like yeah. the the shot is out of focus. That's incredible. Mm-hmm. He breaks his rules uh in in the interrogation scene, Nolan breaks the 180 degree rule, which he very rarely does. Um there's other instances of things that are just very like out of Nolan's nature. And I think it's because of the, the nature of this character that he, he allows himself to do this. And, you know, like those sweeping camera movements around the room, uh, whenever, whenever jokers around, yeah, it's just, it's just incredible. And like, yeah, if you don't agree that this movie is, should be seen in a movie theater, like I, I can't relate to you about cinema in any way. And we shouldn't discuss the subject.
1: <laughs> I feel like you put that very politely. You, you wanted <laughs> to go like very. Yeah, that's just how just I mean. feel. Like if you can <laughs> right? say if
0: you can say the experience is the same watching this on your fifty inch TV with like all the distractions of your home and and your phone, it's it's just not the same experience. You have to see something like this in the theater. Okay, yeah, yeah. got to take Hold a on. breath after that. <laughs> Best performance. This is
1: obvious. It's uh, Nestor Carbonelli's yeah. uh, Mayor Garcia. Mayor. Uh, no. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's not. Uh, it's, what what it's, can we say here? It's Heath Ledger yeah, as, it's as just, Joker. No matter how many times you watch it, yeah, it's it just never gets any less compelling than when we first saw it mm-hmm. in July 2008. And let's just move on. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> everything the, that's been said. Yeah. We've already talked we've about said. it a
0: lot, but it's, it's Heath Ledger and... The, the cultural impact of this performance can't be overstated. And it is worth mentioning that the Joker character has been and continues to be reinvented throughout the life of the Batman universe. And it actually first appeared in Batman number one in 1940. Um, and that, you know, in, in The Dark Knight, the removal of his makeup to impersonate a cop is actually taken directly from that first appearance in the comics. Um, So that's a that's an interesting, fun fact. And so, yeah, I mean, this character has been around for 80 years now and in the public consciousness and continues to interest us. Best soundbite. What are you going with? All right. So I'm going with the score, really the Dark Knight theme. Um, So that that five minute theme that sort of uh, reappears and is used quite a bit in this film it's got that propulsive feeling like that that anticipatory thing that I talked about it's it's yeah. always there in, in this um, just like the very first audio we hear in following you know it's something that just is a thread line that ties Nolan's career yeah it's just a staple of this film it drives home the drama of everything um and ties everything together as i said it's it's used throughout and in the trailer um yeah and just that's that's where i'm going it's that the dark knight theme what about you
1: i'm going with something yeah i've already mentioned i just think these i can't get over these like facial these ticks Mm. of the jokers, the smacking of the lips, the twitching and these high pitched noises. They kind of just slink their way throughout the performance. It just adds so much like texture and nuance and just more, just so much like meat on the bone with this performance. And there's so many ways to kind of just, analyze it and watch it and think about it and i i I do love kind of the audible (laughs) quality of those those facial uh ticks and choices that that ledger makes
0: so great choice the
1: wtf award uh, there's a couple here um what i have is (laughs) opening bake sequence school bus like conveniently falls Mm. into place with like the series of others the other school buses are like oh okay this one just busted through a bank down a. don't you dare doubt joker's
0: uh logistical (laughs) strategy right right
1: right 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 perfectly fits in line uh joker give me a call here's my card again kind of like the calling of the bats and batman like how does that work Another moment that reminds you that you're in a comic book, like, here is my car, like what how, how do I get in touch? Is sure. there like an email? I don't understand that. Uh, Harvey Dent being able to live with fifty percent of his face comprised of nothing but <laughs> exposed raw flesh. Yeah. That
0: eyeball's <laughs> coming out, man.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. And he's able to just like carry on and, Yeah. you know he's fine. His day. But the biggest He has a
0: he has a bit of gauze on there, Ben. He's he's good. Right, right, right. Yeah, the gauze will just yeah, yeah. cover that right up. Um,
1: the biggest is this may be nitpicking, but it's always it's always just kind of got at me is the Batman and Rachel like falling to their death from a skyscraper. Right, they land in the co- like. <laughs> How much work is the cape doing there to prevent them <laughs> from falling? In? Like you mentioned, the uh, the cloth, mem- what is it called? Yeah, right? the memory yeah.
0: form cloth. Okay, yeah. I guess
1: you know that just like you can you know staying like a hundred foot you know story. Yeah, drop and Maggie
0: Gyllenhaal just
1: I, says like, "Let's not do that again." <laughs> is Harvey okay? Let's not do that again. Yeah. I I just uh I just I do not like that that uh, piece of dialogue and the event that precedes it
0: but that's actually one of my biggest flaws of the film actually just while we're on this scene in that point um so that's when the joker interrupts the party in that big yeah that big high-rise building and so they slide down rachel is saved by batman he she asks about harvey dent and he's like he's okay and it's because he had put like a uh, Something in the door, like a wooden door, like that's going to stop Joker. But even a bigger flaw here is that all of a sudden they fall off the building and the scene ends. We don't see what happens upstairs at the party. Like Joker is in there with hundreds of guests and all of his goons. And then we're supposed to just believe that he leaves the party. Like did they (laughs) did the Joker and his goons? Like, hey like slaughter did they slaughter everybody or right, are those right, people right, fine right, right. did they just like grab a dinner plate and leave peacefully uh like right what, what happened <laughs> yeah. here i know it's a yeah, comic yeah. book movie and who really cares but that's a flaw
1: <laughs> hope you all have a good night let's just go our separate ways there's been right. a little bit of a misunderstanding uh yo thanks for the champagne yeah. we're out. um okay so is that your is that your wtf
0: that's one of them. My so since you made like a list of things that you love about this film, I just made a small list of flaws. My first flaw is Aaron Eckhart. Period. Okay, move, it, okay. <laughs> move <it. laughs> I don't. All think, right, I would counter that, but we're at the one forty five mark, and you know I don't, I don't think, I'm think Aaron late, Eckhart but. is a very good actor, and I, I he kind of works in this role as Harvey Dent, but I just I don't love Aaron Eckhart. The mayor. Garcia's eyeshadow
1: oh yeah the eyeshadow or the been,
0: what is it called the it's been talked about yeah what's going on there like Eyel- eyeline, eyeliner. eyeliner it's intense yeah, yeah, yeah. it's it's a lot um yeah, yeah, yeah the pulling of the the thumbprint off of the shattered remains of a bullet in a concrete yeah wall, no one knows how that using that, like that that's more confounding <laughs> than, like than the entire plot of a moment <laughs> right
1: it's like that whole that they're whole using sequence.
0: like this unexplained replication strategy with this automated gun firing bullets into various concrete samples it's just a bit of a stretch yeah. that they got. They right, pulled right, a thumbprint yeah. off
1: that. Still don't understand. OK, how
0: um, a pretty substantial amount of shots in this film are actually of mediocre TV screens and computer monitors like we we're there's frames within a frame quite a bit in this film. And we're watching a lot play out on monitors. That's a minor thing, but it is worth noting. And then. Like you said, the third act, the boat scenes to me are all kind of disasters in my mind. Like, whenever we're on those boats, I'm taken out of the film. I I don't know. Some, some bad acting by the yeah. civilians. In, it's hard to put boats. my finger on it. Those... I know they're not, but that they kind of feel like the only things filmed by a B unit. (laughs) I know they were directed and shot by Nolan and, and Wally Pfister, but they just they just feel a little bit separate from the rest of the movie. And they always stick out to me. So those those are my what the fuck's going on here things. All right. Most lasting image. Yeah.
1: I in a movie of of countless indelible Images, I'm going with the moment of Joker sticking his head out of the cop car, Mm. which uh, Mm -hmm. is just how the sound, like, cuts out. It it also, what precedes it is, like, Gordon being, like, he knew, uh, what does he say, like, uh, he wanted to be caught, like, he wanted us to lock him up in the ICU, you know, and it just this bass pump throughout like when he sticks his head out of the car and Uh the sirens and that just this ominous like droning sound underneath and he's like like a dog is like a dog you know sticking his head out the window and his greasy hair Mm -hmm. and just it is so man i mean it's just it doesn't get any better than that shot
0: yeah i love the way it's like weaving and yeah it's it's yeah right yeah swerving Yeah. yeah Okay. So my most lasting image, I have to go with the 18 wheeler flipping straight up and over the top. And that entire sequence, as you talked about earlier, um, it's just etched into my brain for a number of reasons. It's in my film clips, power hour, volume two, like that last minute. So I've, I've probably watched that one minute, like a solid 50 times by now. Um, so obviously like very memorable, but it's the first time we see the Bat Pod, uh, you know, shattering the glass and everything, as I said. But the Joker is driving a goddamn 18 wheeler looking absolutely batshit crazy. And Ledger is just turned up to 100 a- a in this entire showdown. Um, yeah. It's the culmination of that 10 plus minute like vehicle action sequence thing. That's it seriously felt like it cost a hundred million dollars to make that that scene. Um, right, 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 right. Yeah. So when the Batpod weaves under the 18 wheeler and like wraps around the light poles that the Joker goes, he missed. And then we cut out to the wide and the soundscape goes completely empty and boom, like the truck just flips ass over its head and the the camera flies by. It's like, holy shit, man, that is That's an all-time practical effects stunt, and it's incredible, yeah.
1: A few points that we haven't even said about how just The Dark Knight changed Mm. and kind of redefine blockbusters forever. Right. The Best Picture category at the Oscars. So while Mm. The Dark Knight was nominated for eight awards at that year's Oscars, which is the most for any comic book movie, it did not get a Best Picture nod. Mm -hmm. And the Academy's decision the following year to expand the field up to 10 nominees was a direct reaction to that mm. and it's something that's been a fixture ever since and just think of how seismic of a movie you have to be to change mm-hmm. the biggest and most important category at the Oscars and ironically not even be a part of it uh that just kind of shows the the strength and power that, that the Dark Knight had um the Marvel you know cinematic universe which after this you know Iron Man actually came out in this summer and then from then on you know Marvel really took over as you know the monoculture of of you know film going in a lot of ways but they took decided to take a more serious tone with a lot of their films like yeah. the Winter Soldier, Infinity War, um, which are two of the most beloved MCU films. Uh-huh. Uh, Marvel president Kevin Feige said the success and quality of The Dark Knight was just as important for Marvel as it was for all the people involved in that movie. Interesting. Um, Kevin Smith, who, you know, the writer, director, mm-hmm. f- famous nerd, <laughs> you know, he right. wrote a blog post in The Dark Knight calling it the comic book version of the godfather part two and easily the most adult comic book film ever made um michael keaton who played you know in those burton batman Uh films that we mentioned and earlier in the pod he said it was quote amazing stuff that approach and that tone is exactly what i wanted to do with the third film when we first talked about it so if there was a third burton batman you know maybe they would have taken this more serious approach we'll never know would have liked to see that yeah i I know to me too Director Ryan Coogler has long been a fan of The Dark Knight, uh-huh. and he used Nolan's epic as a template for his own superhero movie, Black Panther, which was one of the the biggest movies of the last five years. Yeah. Uh, Timothy Chalamet, who's like mm. on his way to become like the next, you know, Leonardo DiCaprio, sure. said that Ledger's performance in this movie made him want to become an actor; oh, like it wow. left him a changed man. Timmy shall. Our boy PTA, Paul Thomas Anderson, said, quote, you look at what Christopher Nolan did with Batman, that's like the meeting of the highest level of artistic skill Mm. and a kind of commerciality and appeal to a wide range of people, which is what anybody would want. Kind of just summing up Nolan's overall appeal as we've kind of tried to throughout this this series. PTA later said in that quote, like, yeah, they don't don't come to me with those kind of (laughs) offers, and that's okay, you know? Um, So... You know, uh, Wes Anderson said there is nothing that has ever made me feel less like a professional than watching Chris Nolan's group at work, Mm -hmm. you know, talking about being blown away by the scale of the Dark Knight. Mm -hmm. Adam McKay said to Empire, I've seen others that try to get all real. They strip away the fun and the mythology. And I've seen movies that go too far towards the cartoon aspect. But Nolan, with mathematical precision, blended the two. The way he shoots is such a throwback. It's so modern. Mm -hmm. He uses old-fashioned techniques with modern ideas. Yeah. Lastly, I'll just say like you can make the case that The Dark Knight is the single most beloved movie of our generation. Sure. Not saying it is the best, but it is. I don't think there is a more beloved movie by more people in our generation than any other film. Like it's the
0: consensus most adored and over it makes sense that, yeah definitely and over a five-year run after its release had to be the most rewatched movie in that five years like hands down oh, yeah. i mean people watch this movie like 20 times as you said and, i
1: remember in college we got you know the blu-ray and had like 20 people over yeah, to rewatch it right. like and it was an event just watching <laughs> it in our living yeah. room you know six months after it came out
0: right so and and it it does get back to we talked about this a little bit last episode but just Nolan's immaculate care and precision in his directing style and just his professionalism on set and the way that, you know, he films minimal coverage and knows exactly what he needs and, you know, goes with it, goes to the editing room, basically without a lot of fluff. Like there aren't that many deleted scenes. Cause like they don't shoot them and it's, you know, wasted budget and wasted time. So it's just, he's a, an absolute Marvel in, in this, uh, you know capacity and on this scale it's it's something to behold i would say yeah and i think the dark
1: knight it is the film that he will be i think most known for It's 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 his biggest film. It's his most important, and I think when his career when it's all said and done, it'll probably be looked at as his apex and like the first film, you know, in his God forbid like
0: his obituary, you know, the first
1: line like will be like director of of the Dark Knight. Right, and
0: definitely definitely his biggest cultural impact film. It's not his biggest budget, not his highest grossing, but in terms of the cultural impact, has to be his biggest film. Absolutely, and it's notable that basically he can do whatever he wants after this film. (laughs) yeah if he couldn't before
1: absolutely yeah. so to end part three of the chris nolan chronicles we wanted to just talk a little bit about some of these what-ifs in the nolan universe you know whether yeah. it's stuff he's been offered to direct in the past or certain genres franchises we'd like to see him take on um rob let's start with this howard hughes uh biopic that i know yeah. he had been attached to for a while what do, what do you got to say about that
0: Yeah. So Nolan was working on a script about Howard Hughes after Insomnia. He even fielded questions about the project in the press tour for Insomnia. was in talks with, uh, uh, multiple studios to make the film. Jim Carrey was attached to the project to play the role of Howard Hughes. And, um, you know, Nolan apparently really loved his scripts. Uh, he is quoted as saying it was his favorite thing he had written up to that point. Um, But it just didn't really pan out for him to make it. Um, Up to this point, it was apparently like this cursed uh, sort of project in Hollywood. But eventually it did go to uh, Michael Mann to direct and became The Aviator starring Leonardo DiCaprio. But right before production, Michael Mann left the project to go uh, film Collateral. And Martin Scorsese stepped in, uh, shot the the film with Robert Richardson as the cinematographer, it was using a different script written by John Logan, who's an incredible writer. Um, so I actually fucking love the aviator uh, <laughs> despite it not being the most fun watch. Um, but collateral a, is also, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, it's entertaining. Yeah, aviator is a pretty, it's entertaining energy. <laughs> yeah. Adventure.
1: Yeah, just maybe
0: not the most rewatchable, Yeah, yeah. Um, but Collateral is also really incredible. Highly recommend that Tom Cruise and Jamie Foxx, great Michael Mann flick. So it all worked out in the end. We got to have both of those awesome films, plus Nolan taking on the Batman Begins uh, project for Warner Brothers. Um, you know, Collateral came out summer 2004, Aviator, Christmas Day 2004, and then Batman Begins in the summer of 2005. So what if Nolan had gotten to make that film with Jim Carrey as Howard Hughes? Would we have the Dark Knight trilogy? Would Christopher Nolan be who he is? And would his career have gone where it is now and, and where it went because of this franchise uh, trilogy? I mean, the, the success of Batman Begins just, you know, Proved he had the chops to make a high budget studio film and launched his career uh, to where it's been for the past 15 years as essentially the highest budgeted and box office grossing auteur filmmaker in the world. So you could say that moment of losing out on the aviator project and getting Batman begins instead is really like the critical sliding glass door moment of, of Nolan's career to me. For sure. You know, and Something else he was he was
1: offered to direct, uh, before committing to Batman begins was the historical epic Troy, which mm. a movie I don't think I've ever saw has a pretty bad reputation. He turned it down. It would be interesting to see him kind of dive into that type of of, of world of yeah. I believe Troy what does that take place kinda during like the Roman I'm not an expert on it, but uh Yeah. I feel like Greek it's gods. in that it's in that world. But you know, one of the first things that comes to mind when thinking about um, franchises that, you know, Nolan has been kind of rumored towards or or might be attached to is is the James Bond franchise. He said he's, quote, definitely interested in directing a James Bond movie. He's spoken to the producers over the years. He deeply loves the character. He said, you know, maybe one day it would work Mm -hmm. out. He said, you'd have to be needed. It has to need you. And I've always Mm -hmm. felt that Sam Mendez is Skyfall was essentially what would happen if Nolan directed a Bond movie, and again, I think sure. Skyfall was really influenced by The Dark Knight. Yeah, um, and, that was you know, also so that's one also
0: written by John Logan, who wrote The Aviator. Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, Star Wars is another one that I think you know I would love to see him do not take on, kind of do more of one of these side stories like how Rogue One was handled. Yeah, I think it'd just be much more like grounded in realism. Would love to see, for example, how he would direct like airborne battles like if, if dunkirk was any indication uh-huh. um how he would build those you know worlds out in space like i mm. think you know he could definitely bring something new to the table mm. um nolan did say when the force awakens was coming out that he'd be afraid to touch it like uh, he's a lot more comfortable doing his own thing than carrying the weight and expectation of the entire world uh you know (laughs) particularly 40 somethings like me who live and die with each new bit of information about star wars Uh um you know it's interesting to hear him say that because he did you know while it doesn't have maybe quite the fandom level that star wars does i mean batman obviously has you know one of the most diehard fan bases there is yeah you know i was thinking about genres that i'd like to see him explore and you know something that jumped out to me was like i don't know if he would do it but you know Getting into like horror, like where's Nolan's like alien? Oh. Like his sci-fi horror, like sure. a cold, bleak, slow burner. He did love Ridley Scott growing up. Alien's one of my all time favorite films. Yeah. Um I also Blade thought of Runner, like, obviously. Yeah, like a gangster, like period piece is something yeah. he kinda like hasn't tackled. Like, for example, if he directed like Public Enemies, which oh, was yeah. made by Michael Mann, which it was uh-huh. kind of a flop. I do
0: Ironically, like that movie Nolan, though. That's a good movie. You do okay. You yeah, I remember being disappointed yeah. by it, but underrated.
1: It. Uh, I, I. I haven't. I don't think seen it since its release. But um, I, I, I think that's something that I think would be really cool for him approach. Um, of course, like a mumblecore romantic comedy, Noah Baumbach style. No, uh, that'd be the last thing I would. I would imagine him directing. But the one other specific like genre or subgenre. I was trying to think of something that could like really benefit from specifically like nolan's like visual sense his epic vision like mm. the practical effects that he loves doing and i thought of like what about like a sports movie like couldn't you see him directing like a film about like a world cup run or something oh. like taking place yeah, yeah. at large stadiums the global aspect of it sure like remember like invictus which i don't think yeah I ever yeah even saw which i think is about rugby but something it is. along those lines like, and I nelson mandela him. yeah yeah right i could see him maybe cooking up but Anyway, um, this has been epic. Uh, yes. That's going to do it for, for part three of the Chris Nolan Chronicles. appreciate <laughs> all of you for listening. Is it tomorrow
0: now? <laughs> yeah.
1: I hope the sun is rising. Uh, I hope you're enjoying this series as much as we are uh, yeah. you know, doing it. Reminder to please rate, review, and, and share the pod. And in part four, we'll unpack the Nolan hype machine and talk about his best movie trailers and how he's used uh, marketing to create unparalleled anticipation films which we've kind of hit on in this episode and then we will go inside a dream within a dream to talk inception and oh, discuss boy. Gotham's reckoning the dark knight rises so yes. we'll talk to you
0: like ben said thanks everyone for listening uh catch up with the other parts if you haven't listened to those and share this with anyone in your life that you think might be interested this is a big passion project but we're really loving it and spending a lot of time doing it and really enjoying it, so I hope you are too. Thanks for listening. And in the words of Christian Bale, as Bruce Wayne in Batman Begins, Well, this guy
1: dresses up like a bat clearly has issues. <laughs>